1: I'm your host, Bob Bixby. Each week, we take a nonpartisan dive into topics related to the federal budget, the economy, and how it all affects our nation's future. This week, we're gonna catch up on the economic news, uh, everything from inflation to interest rates and the labor market, and hanging over it all is the big question of whether the Federal Reserve Board can engineer a soft landing, meaning uh, slowing 40-year high inflation without throwing the economy into a recession. It's a very difficult task, not often done. Joining me for their economic and budgetary insights are Concord Coalition Policy Director, Tori Gorman, and Chief Economist, Steve Robinson. Tori and Steve, welcome back to Facing the Future.
2: Thanks, Bob.
0: Thanks. Good to be here.
1: Okay, well, we're going to dive into all things uh, economic this week. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we concentrated on the economy. Uh, So before I get your insights, let me just sort of tee up a couple of uh, statistics about where we are. One of the things that uh, we all look at is the growth of the economy, GDP growth. And the first quarter of this year was a surprise because it actually contracted. Uh, on an annualized basis by 1.5% that uh, that followed a big rise of 6.9% in the fourth quarter of 2021 so uh there were a number of reasons for that uh, we discussed on this program but but right now the focus is on second quarter gdp and what's what's going to happen you know whether it was that first quarter a trend or uh or just an anomaly and we'll get those numbers at the end of this month but the early signs aren't great. I mean, they're forecasts all over the lot, but one is a a Federal Reserve uh, Bank of Atlanta model called GDP Now, and they're showing uh, second quarter growth just as flat, zero, (laughs) no growth, no (laughs) contraction. So again, we'll we'll get those numbers at the end of the month. Uh, On the labor market, that seems to be pretty strong. We've had, uh, you know, Pretty strong job growth. Uh, not a lot of uh, unemployment claims. Average weekly wages is still rising, so that seems to be in the plus column. But the big news, uh, overshadowing it all, is inflation, and uh, the numbers there are pretty unambiguous. The consumer price index rose by eight point six percent in May uh, year over year, um, and uh, you know that was not that much higher uh, than April. But it dashed hopes that uh, a lot of people had that perhaps the inflation surge had peaked. Uh, It certainly caught the attention of the Federal Reserve Board, which raised the federal funds rates by three quarters of a percentage point, uh, 75 basis points at their June meeting. And that was the largest single increase since 1994. Uh, And so what we're going to talk about uh, a little bit here is whether or not uh, the Fed's aggressive action to tamp down inflation could potentially uh, lead to a recession. Certainly, markets have responded. Treasury bond yields uh, have have risen substantially, uh, as have mortgage rates. So a lot of economists and folks in Washington are saying, Gee, maybe we've got a recession in our future, Tori, Let me turn to you first. Um, uh, Larry Summers says we're almost certain to have a recession, and Janet Yellen says, "No, no, no, we're not necessarily going to have a recession." So, what do you think? What does your crystal ball tell you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, uh, <laughs> if 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 I knew, you know, I'd be I'd be gambling in Vegas um I think the 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 real question uh well yeah you you st- you stated it correctly. The real question is whether or not the Federal Reserve can ratchet back inflation without causing harm to the underlying economy um I I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know whether they can do it or not. History says no, they can't. I mean if you're if you're betting on a person on, the, on, on probabilities, you know in, in, if the past is prologue, then, then no they can't. But when when you think about you know, what, what happens during a recession, it's normally a time of, of, of rebalancing um, and unwinding things that, that generated these these bubbles, et cetera. And in the present case, there really isn't much to unwind. Um, You know, maybe we've got a housing market bubble, but the the rise in interest rates seems to be doing a good job of of cooling the housing market. Um, So, if there is a recession, I guess my point being, if there is a recession, it's probably going to be shallow and not one that's steep and long.
1: You know, the uh, um, interesting thing is that the the labor market still seems to be pretty strong. There are there are a lot more jobs than there are job seekers. Mhm. Um and, and yet uh I mean is that part of the problem that the yeah. fed is having to deal with?
2: Well, and there's some interesting dynamics underlying that as well because you know with with the 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 shortage of of labor supply, um you know there's there's this big competition for labor and one of the things that we're seeing is that Big businesses, big corporations, they're adding to their headcount because they can compete on price. They can offer uh, wages and uh uh, benefits, you know, beyond what small businesses can offer. So we see big business adding to their headcount, but small business is actually losing headcount. And when you look at, you know, sort of what is the the, the backbone of, of U.S. economic growth, it's it's small business. So I think one of the things to be concerned about and keep an eye on moving forward is whether or not small businesses can continue or can uh, add to to their their headcount and continue to meet the, the demand for the goods and services that they, they provide, because right now they're struggling to do so uh, because, you know, they're being outbid by, by larger corporations.
1: Um, Steve, uh, not asking you to be a, a market guru here, but, um, you know, one of the things that's happened is that the stock markets have, have taken a tumble in response to the feds action. And I'm just wondering, I mean, is there, does that portend um, a, a revenue issue for the federal government? In other words, uh, do you, do you actually get a revenue bump because people are selling their stocks and paying a capital gains tax or, or uh, do you just get uh, less revenue because people aren't making as much money? And
0: um, that's in, in the, in the, In the current environment, that's a little hard to know. I mean, obviously, the the markets are down, you know, 20 percent from the beginning of the year. So if 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 people are people bought at the beginning of the year and they're trying to sell down, there obviously aren't any capital gains. Right. right.
2: Uh, If
0: they bought two or three years ago and their stock is up, you know, 40 percent and it's down 20 percent, they could still take a gain. But, you know, it, it it's all depends on, on market psychology. I mean, how many people are, you know, trying to buy on the dip? How many people are trying to sell on the dip? You know, how long have you been in the market? What stocks do you hold? You know, as to, you know, the net effect on federal revenue, you know, it, it, unfortunately, the federal government is in a tells I win. I don't, how's, how's the expression? Heads I win tells you lose because, you, you know, you, you have to pay taxes on your capital gains but your capital losses are limited. You you can't actually deduct all of your losses. And so the federal government gets a bit of a a revenue windfall because of that asymmetry in the tax treatment of gains and losses. So, you know, it's probably likely to be a net positive for the government. but, But, you know, how large it will be is a little hard to tell because it's going to depend on, you know, all the investors in terms of when they bought and how long they've held and whether the price that they would sell at, because you know, if you assume the market's reached a, bo- reached a bottom, you know, currently there's no reason to sell. You're going to have the dip buyers buying and pushing the market back up. But if history is any guide, the market is not at a bottom. I mean, it's still by by several metrics, the market is still overvalued. And given what the Fed is doing and in pushing interest rates up, that tends to push the market down
2: even right. further. And you'll, so, I think, you'll find historically that the market. You know, it doesn't hit bottom until the Fed stops raising interest rates, right? Until the Fed eases, the market has a tendency to go down.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, essentially the way to think about it is the, the market is supposed to be the discounted present value of the future earnings of the companies. So when you raise interest rates, then the discounting reduces the present value because you have a higher discount rate. And if the economy goes into recession, you have less earnings. And so the future value is also less. Right. Um, And so, you know, you've got two potential levers here of rising interest rates and the probability of a a recession or the increased probability of a recession. And both of those are going to affect the market, which, you know, would tend to suggest, you know, we haven't seen the bottom of the market yet. So, yeah.
1: Well, let's. let's let's look at the uh, the big issue of inflation, uh, which really seems to be driving a lot of this. Uh, there are certainly a lot of explanations for inflation. Uh, the, the White House has floated some and the Republicans have their own ideas and they all blame each other. Um, what uh, <laughs> just get your take on uh, Steve, I'll start with you and Tori, feel free to chime in. I mean, what What re- is behind the inflation that we're seeing now? Everybody thought it was going to be transitory or not a big deal or, you know, worked through by now, but it, it just keeps uh, rising.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, everybody has their favorite excuse. I mean, you know, everybody points to COVID and the supply chain effects that have, you know, reduced shipping, you know, unloading the freight containers all at all of the harbors. And, you know, you've got... Um, you know, the war in, in Ukraine, this affected food and, and, and oil prices. Um, you know, you've got the, the Biden and, and previous to that, the Trump stimulus proposals. So, you know, there, there's a combination of factors that I think all of them have contributed to some degree. Um, you know, I've not yet seen any careful studies that attempt to tease out, you know, how much is attributable to each of those factors. But you know, I, again, I'm I'm a little old school here, and you know, at the end of the day, I believe that inflation is largely, perhaps not not as Milton Friedman said, always and everywhere, but I think most of the time and largely, it's a monetary phenomenon. And you know, the, the Fed lowered interest rates and held them at zero for an inordinate amount of time, and they were just beginning to raise interest rates, you know, from zero upward, and the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, hit, and so they lowered them back to zero again. And when you keep interest rates so low for so long, financial markets basically turn that into deposits and loans and credit. And when there's too much money chasing the available goods, and then, of course, when you have supply factors like COVID and the war, you have fewer goods. And you know the Fed waited too long to hit the brakes on monetary policy. They should have been raising rates and stopping their bond purchases last fall and you know they assumed incorrectly that the COVID pandemic was going to be you know more like the financial crisis in terms of its effect on the economy, and it just simply wasn't. And so they they you know they overestimated the need for monetary stimulus, and so as a result, you know we've got to see that unwound, and they're just now getting started. And I think they've got a long way to go.
1: Um, I want to I want to get back to the uh, the the Fed, but but Tory before we do that, uh, switch switch back to the uh, the real world of politics and uh, mm-hmm. what's facing the Biden administration, um, keeping in mind uh, everything Steve said is, I mean, the administration has to be responsive, but is there really anything that they can do?
2: Well, that's the conundrum, right? Is that they, they've got a midterm election coming up and they've got obviously a presidential election coming in two years. Uh, Democrats you know, hold... Uh, functioning majorities in the House, the Senate, and obviously they control the White House. So there really is, you know, the possession arrow is with the Democrats and, you know, they have the ball. What are they going to do with it? And there really isn't a lot, you know, when when you're when you're um, when you're inflation. Problem is a monetary phenomenon, or it's a supply shock phenomenon. There really isn't a lot that the the federal government can do because they're they're largely a, a demand side, you know, uh, 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 policy. You know, fiscal policy usually affects uh, demand. So, you know, I know that they're they're casting about for ideas. There's been a lot of conversation, for example, about a temporary federal gas tax holiday, which would, you know, I think, yeah, federal gas tax is somewhere around 18 cents per gallon. You know, if they temporarily suspend that gas tax, that might make gasoline at the pump a little bit cheaper. You know, but when gas is, Five and a half six dollars a gallon 18 cents per gallon you know isn't really gonna make a big huge dent in the in the price of of gasoline um so i i think the biden administration you know they've talked about things like um lowering the price of prescription drugs you know but that requires some legislation um they've talked about gas tax holiday again you know that would require legislation from congress which of course in order to get legislation through the senate you need 10 republicans to sign on with the with the uh, all of the democrats in the senate to say, Say, yes we want to do that you know, that that makes it that makes it difficult um you know the biden administration they've they've released uh, uh, millions of barrels of oil from the strategic petroleum reserve in order to try and, and reduce um, uh, energy prices um, you know but when you look at inflation the, the big four components uh, that are driving inflation at the current uh, moment it's it's energy food cars and housing and there isn't you know, on the energy front, oil prices are determined internationally. It's a global market for 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 oil and gasoline, so that's not something that that the U.S. really has a lot of control over. Um, cars, you know that that's that's a function of of inputs to production, and so that's affected by COVID and the chip shortage and things like that. that the federal government can't do anything about you know right now. Uh, maybe they can provide you know tax incentives to build more chip plants in the United States, but it takes what several years, if not a decade, to get those plants on online and operating. Um so it, you know, the Biden administration is really behind the curve in that, yeah, you know, they're they're beholden uh for for this predicament, but they don't have many tools to combat inflation.
1: Um I want to get I want to I want to uh describe a little bit more of the uh the difficulties of uh, of the fed's action uh, what 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 they're facing in trying to uh, nail a a soft landing and this this discussion may go over into the next session uh, a segment of this program as well but um, but Steve one of the one of the problems and this gets back to the political it's both a political and a Policy problem, but for the Fed, let's just talk on the policy. Um, you know, d- describe the nature of the pro- of what they're trying to do here. You mentioned that they're tightening, and they sure as heck are. Um, slamming on the brakes is one uh, one one way of describing it. So, what are they trying to do? How how is this supposed to work? <laughs> Well, I, I, let me point out that monetary policy is a
0: blunt tool, and it works with a lag. It takes time to, to, to have an effect, uh, and particularly more so on the downside than the upside. So essentially what the Fed tries to do is steer the economy. They have a mandate from Congress to maintain stable prices and promote full employment. Um, and so that's they, they try to, over time, adjust interest rates to, to do that, because as the Federal Reserve, their, their job is to oversee the banking system and to control the money supply. And the money supply uh, is affected by interest rates. And if you think about if, if you're a consumer or a business or a bank, you know, your stock and trade is to make loans uh, to, to businesses and consumers. And you make money by charging an interest rate that's higher than it costs you to get the money. And as a business or a consumer, you want to pay as little as possible. And as a bank, you want to get enough to, you know, charge enough interest to make a profit so you can stay in business. And the Fed has, as I mentioned earlier, the Fed has lowered interest rates through their control of the money supply. Uh, and they do that by buying and selling uh, reserves. And they have over the past, since the pandemic, uh, since the financial crisis in 2008, and now with the, uh, the, the, the COVID pandemic in, in 2020, their, the Fed balance sheet, their, their holdings of securities, which is what they use to buy and sell to control monetary policy, their balance sheet has gone from a little less than a trillion dollars in 2007. Uh, it is now almost $9 trillion. It's, it's unheard of. It's unprecedented. They have just built this huge balance sheet. And, and they mostly it consists of government bonds, government securities, T-bills, treasury notes, uh, but it also includes a couple of trillion dollars in mortgage-backed securities. And so what the Fed has been doing over the past decade or more is to keep interest rates low. They're buying up the supply of, of mortgage-backed securities and, and treasury securities. So the government has been able to borrow at very low interest rates. Homeowners have been able to buy, uh, borrow at very low interest rates. As a result, that stimulated government spending, Uh, And it's also stimulated consumer spending on housing. And so we've seen housing prices rise to, uh, you know, historical levels in terms of if you look at price to rent or price to income ratios there, I think they're pretty much above where they were, you know, back in the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, And so, you know, the Fed has stimulated the economy by lowering interest rates. And for, you know, the past decade and a half, inflation has been within their target. In fact, a little bit below their target. They have a a target of 2% inflation measured by what's called the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, which is slightly different than the CPI, which most people talk about. But essentially, the Fed has been successful in keeping interest rates
1: low uh, and keeping inflation low. Okay, okay. Hold it right there. Uh, (laughs) The the, the Fed has been successful in holding things low, and now... When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll find out exactly what uh, what's going on right now. You're listening to Facing the Future. Uh, I'm your host Bob Bixby, and uh, Concord Coalition policy director Tori Gorman and chief economist Steve Robinson, both Capitol Hill veterans, I might point out, are joining me for a, a discussion of the U.S. economy. We'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, and I'm joined by Concord Coalition Chief Economist Steve Robinson and Policy Director Tori Gorman. Uh, we're talking about the status of the, uh, of the U.S. economy. And uh, Steve, uh, when we left, um, you were describing how the Fed had been handling uh, monetary policy and uh, uh going with kind of uh, i think people would say an accommodative or a loose monetary policy but that is changing now so uh you were at that pivotal point of how they're changing what they hope to accomplish and how they're going to go about doing that
0: yeah so i mean you know people maybe sometimes they scratch their head and say why does the fed have to raise interest rates you know what's the, what's why do they do that well you know you sort of have to look at both sides of the equation i mean if If the Fed lowers interest rates to stimulate the economy and they keep them too low for too long and they overstimulate the economy, you get inflation. Well, the only tool the Fed has to create inflation and fight inflation is the interest rate. And so if low interest rates contributed to inflation, then by definition, they have to do the opposite when it's uh, time to control inflation. And so essentially what the Fed does is it begins raising interest rates. And it, you know, it does that, what, what the interest rate that, that generally is focused on is what's called the federal funds rate. And that is the interest rate that banks lend money to each other overnight, typically overnight. They can be, I think they can be a little longer than that, but that is generally overnight loans. And so essentially what banks are doing is banks make loans and they take deposits. And at any given time, a bank may have more money than it needs or less money than it needs. And so, what banks are able to do is they go into the federal funds market and they borrow overnight from each other. And so, as long as the Fed keeps that interest rate low, banks have an incentive to loan money to each other and spread the availability of credit around the country. Um, and they can do that very cheaply because the interest rates are low. But when the Fed begins raising the interest rate, and they they do that, uh, although they have a new tool now that they didn't have historically. But but, you know, in the past, the Fed would do that by buying up bonds and that essentially drains. I'm sorry, not buying bonds, selling bonds, selling the, the, the Treasury securities and the mortgage securities. They sell those back to the banks. The banks have that as an asset. But in order to get the asset, they have to give up their reserves. And the reserves are the money that they lend to each other over in the overnight market and the federal funds market. And so essentially, by reducing the supply of reserve bank reserves, and and raising, you know, by reducing the supply, it raises the interest rate and it makes credit more expensive. And obviously, consumers and businesses, when interest rates go up, they have less incentive to buy things. And, and so essentially, what the Fed is trying to do is unwind what it had previously done of lowering the interest rates. Because once inflation takes off, the only tool the Fed has to address inflation is to raise interest rates and, and to slow the economy. And of course, the goal of the Fed is to slow the economy without pushing it over into a recession. Uh, but as Tory mentioned earlier, and as most observers have concluded, uh, we've not seen inflation this high with interest rates this low and the Fed being able to reverse that and not cause a recession. So, you know, if history is any guide, I would say we're, we're in, you know, a recession is in almost inevitable. Um, again, how deep, how long is is another question, but um, certainly, yeah, it could raise, be yeah, raising. Yeah. Income, I mean, with inflation at eight percent and the Fed funds rate at one and a half percent, they've got a long way to go to bring that inflation rate down. And so, you know, it, it's it's a very difficult job.
1: And uh, as you say, I mean, it could be a uh, could be a shallow recession. Uh, there's no such thing as a good recession, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, It it would not necessarily be uh, the the kind of great recession like we had in 2008, 2009. Um, Tori, one of the things that uh, the the Biden administration has floated as a way to fight uh, inflation is reducing the federal budget deficit. Uh Um, uh, the, the, The president wrote in the Wall Street Journal, we need to keep reducing the federal deficit, which will help ease price pressures. Uh, as deficit hawks, uh, uh, the, that's uh, that sounds pretty good. However, um, it's not necessarily uh, deficit reduction isn't necessarily an inflation fighting tool, per se. Is that, not in this uh, case anyway? Yeah, go ahead. What uh, what what are, what are the, the the pros and cons? Well,
2: what, what the Biden administration is talking about is the reduction in the the budget deficit this year compared to say the year prior and the year before that when we were running. You know, multi-trillion-dollar budget deficits because we were spending so much trying to beat back COVID. Um, the deficit that we're experiencing this year isn't—it's—it's it's a lot smaller. Um, I th- I'm trying to remember what the latest estimates are. We're probably going to be somewhere south of a trillion dollars, but um, you know, it's—it's it's not the result of 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 any kind of policies that got us there, it's it's the result that we we stopped funding COVID, right? It's sort of a reversion to to the the trend baseline deficits that existed prior to COVID. So it, it's not that we took, you know, that we were operating at a baseline and then we 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 took some sort of action to reduce deficits even further. What happened is that we had this big run up in spending that we're not doing anymore. And so deficits are returning to to, to trend, to the mean. Um, now if president biden wants to talk about raising spending or cutting existing spending going further you know in other words cutting spending more than what's uh, in the baseline or raising revenues beyond what's already in the baseline to further reduce uh, deficits going forward, then I think that could have an impact on demand, but, you know, it takes a while for those things to, to filter through the economy, just because let's say, for example, they raise taxes today. If they raise the, you know, the income tax today, um, you know, that income tax bill doesn't come due until, for example, next year. So it's, it's not something, you know, fiscal policy isn't something that you can enact boom immediately and have an impact on aggregate demand as it exists today. Um, so you know, I think deficit reduction has a role to play in in reducing aggregate demand, but not the type of of deficit reduction we're experiencing today. Because again, it's just the result of not spending gobs of money on on COVID.
1: The uh, I I'm not sure I've seen any deficit reduction proposals
2: <laughs>
1: coming from the administration. In fact, as we were talking about, there are proposals, perhaps to uh, to you know suspend the federal gas tax or send rebates to people for gas I, I'm not sure that those things are administratively feasible but uh, mm-hmm. at any rate the the proposals seem to be more on deficit financing uh, uh, rather than uh, proposals to actually well
2: the, so you know the the build back better uh, bill which you know has, been resuscitated and died and resuscitated and died and resuscitated and died. Yeah, you know, the first iteration of that was definitely tax increases to finance more spending. Um, but as you know Joe Manchin uh really put the screws on on the terms of, of that deal. Uh, Build Back Better has gotten the, the scope of the bill has gotten smaller and smaller, and there is, or at least there was, a deficit reduction component to it. So there was a revenue raiser in there, raise taxes on on the uber wealthy in order to finance some new spending, but they weren't going to spend all of it, um, and some of the leftover revenues would go towards deficit reduction. But again, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about that, uh, but there's been no there's been no agreement. So um, you know, uh, is is there an opportunity for Build Back Better to come back in a further iteration, which contains a good chunk of, of deficit reduction? It's possible, but as we get closer and closer to the August recess, um, it looks more and more unlikely. So, yeah, you you are correct. A lot of the the things that they're 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 talking about are not necessarily uh, things that they're talking about to combat inflation are not necessarily things that would reduce the deficit.
1: Troy, I know we're going to lose you at the end of this segment, so I I want to ask you uh, just putting on your Capitol Hill uh, staffer hat, um, mm-hmm. you know these uh, these inflation numbers um, and the Fed's actions and the uh, speculation about a recession. What effect do you think that that's really going to have on the congressional agenda? You know, as we go through the summer and head into the fall elections. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think you're going to see some. Uh, I think you're already starting to see some desperate legislating, at least among House Democrats, right? That with the, the Democrats have a majority in the House, legislation can pass the House with a simple majority. So they're just jamming through all kinds of legislation uh, that sits on the doorstep of the Senate to say, "Hey, we we've done this to try and combat inflation. Hey, we've done that, you know, to try and reduce the price of prescription drugs. Hey, we've done this, that, and that. So there. So there's a lot of desperate legislating, um, but all that legislation goes to the Doorstep of the Senate, where it just sits and and wilters in the the Washington D.C. summer heat and humidity, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I, you know, obviously Republicans have a vested interest in denying Democrats any kind of legislative victory. Uh, it enables them to walk into the campaign season uh, for the midterm elections and just really beat the drumbeat on inflation and Democrats inability to do anything about it. So, you know, in in one sense, there's 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 a there's a an incentive for Republicans to to deny any kind of legislative victory. Um, On the other hand, you got to be careful that they don't look so obstreperous that voters get angry. You got you got to run a a narrow path there. But yeah, in, in the outlook for for legislation right now, not great. Uh, the Republicans have a winning message. Uh, Democrats don't have the votes they need to get legislation through the Senate. So it doesn't look like anything's going to happen.
1: The administration may be wondering whether they would rather have high inflation or a recession, which is better heading into the uh, huh. because they've got their own timetable. I mean, theirs is 2024 rather than the 2022. So they've got a little bit more time to think about it. Mm hmm. Tori, thank you for joining us. Steve and I will be back to talk more about the Federal Reserve and what they're doing and modern modern monetary policy and uh, the possibility of a recession and unemployment going up and all sorts of jolly things. Uh, We'll be right back after these short messages. You're listening to Facing the Future on WKXL. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, and I'm joined by Concord Coalition Chief Economist, Steve Robinson. And we're talking about the state of the economy. Uh, We've been talking a little bit about the possibility of a recession that seems to be on uh, everybody's mind. Uh, When we were uh, in the last session, Steve, we were talking about the Fed's Attempts to slow inflation without causing a recession. One of the things people keep their eye on is the unemployment rate. And, you know, there's uh, many economists have um, different rules of thumb on this. But, you know, one of the things is that in order to tame inflation, you have to be able to, you have to be willing to experience a higher rate of unemployment. Um the projections by the Federal Reserve and the CBO and some others are not showing a big increase in the unemployment rate, even as they show inflation slowing substantially from its current pace uh, next year. And I'm wondering if that's a, a realistic scenario and, and whether we might have to see more unemployment than, than the official projections indicate.
0: Well, you know, I think we've got a couple of things going on that are very unique to our current time period that we haven't seen in the past. I mean, part of the the unemployment rate today is at a historical low. And part of that is that there's been a decline in the labor force. In other words, we measure unemployment by the number of people who are looking for jobs. So if you have a job and you quit or get fired or whatever, and you don't look for a job, you're no longer counted among the unemployed. And so there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect if you focus solely on the unemployment rate, and you don't look at the uh, the, the labor force participation, or how many people are looking for jobs, you know, as well as how many people you know can't find one, and and so you know there's a little bit of a, a disconnect there. But you know, I, th- I think the thing that's interesting, I mean, historically, you know, you you fight inflation by raising interest rates, and that causes a recession, and you end up getting an increase in unemployment. Um, you know, it's not because you want people to be unemployed to fight inflation. I mean, remember, you know, inflation is a function of of money and goods. And if you've got too much money relative to the available goods, and people become unemployed, then you have fewer goods, and therefore, you know, it makes the problem worse, not better. Uh, I mean, I think the way to think about the the unemployment effect is on the, on the on the upside uh, when the fed is trying to stimulate the economy sometimes they stimulate parts of the economy that are not sustainable in other words if if your business only operates when the federal reserve lowers the interest rate to zero you probably don't have a good business model and so when the fed raises the interest rate your business goes out of business and so i think part of the you know the unemployment effect is not that you're reducing unemployment, or I'm sorry, that you're 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 reducing employment or increasing unemployment to fight inflation. What you're trying to do is get the economy back into balance. In other words, if the Fed's sustained low interest rate policy caused dislocations in the economy, meaning that certain industries grew more than they should have. Then what you have to do is you have to get the workers in that industry to move to some other industry that is sustainable at a at a normal regular interest rate, and so this unemployment effect you see is both labor force participation and it's a reallocation due to the previous period of low interest rates. What's even different this time, of course, is because of COVID. Uh, there's been a huge movement to people working from home, and so the question becomes, you know. Any sort of metric that we looked at in the past, in terms of what's the relationship between inflation and unemployment, you know, how different is the labor market today? Because so many jobs people can do from home, they can do from anywhere in the country. And so the question is, does that make the labor market more efficient and, you know, more nimble, the ability to supply workers to where they're needed, because they don't physically have to pack up their house and move to some other state? They can just Connect up to the internet, and they can do a job in you know in, in the next state over, and so you know I, I believe we're a little bit in uncharted territory. Uh, yeah, well, because it, of because of the circumstances being so different due to due to the, the pandemic that we haven't seen
1: in the past. I think that's uh, an interesting point, uh, particularly, um, you know, uh, Fed Chair Powell when he was asked about this emphasized the the point that. You started with, which is that, you know, we're not trying to put people out of work. It's not like you say, OK, well, our way to do inflation is to to, to make sure that there aren't people working. They want as many people working as possible. It's, it's more of a rebalancing the economy that uh, may have the effect that, that you mentioned. So with the economy having changed, it will be interesting to see. Uh, whether the inflation can can come down, um, without any any jump in the unemployment rate, or at least not much of one. One of the other things that you had talked about before was this long period of loose monetary policy, really going back, you know, to, 2008. to the
0: 2008,
1: yeah, 2008, basically. And, and it raises the question, uh, whether or not. The markets, the public, uh, policymakers can can handle the truth. (laughs) I mean, if if what has to happen now is if the Fed has to really be aggressive, as they have indicated they're going to do, to try to raise interest rates, to try to slow the economy, to try to tamp down inflation, and and it actually begins to work, uh, our people, as mortgage interest rates go up... um, uh, borrowing costs go up, in, in other areas, will businesses and uh, and folks push back? Uh, it and will they be able to to receive that message uh, to let the Fed do what it needs to do? I mean, policymakers uh, fall into that category as well. Nobody wants nobody wants the pain. Yeah, well,
0: you know, everybody wants a free lunch. And, and unfortunately, the Fed has been uh, allowing everyone to feast at the table for the past, you know, decade and a half by uh, by keeping interest rates so low. And, you know, unfortunately, I mean, again, <clears throat> yeah, his, if history is any guide, I mean, interest rates at negative, you know, after you adjust for inflation, we've had negative interest rates for most of the past decade. And, you know, it's, it's just not it's not what you expect from a normal functioning economy. And, you know, while, you know, it was great while it lasted, but it, you know, if history is a guide, it can't last. I mean, you know, as as the old saying goes, anything that can't continue won't. Um, And so, you know, interest rates will have to normalize over time and people will have to adjust. I mean, I, I, you know, my own view is that the stock market and the housing market were overstimulated by the Fed's low interest rate policy, and it was a great ride for the people who got into the market, either housing or stock market, and rode it to the top. But you know, it, it's it's reached a peak, and it's likely to continue down, and that is to suggest that it was mostly a bubble, um, and so it was a bubble largely inspired and 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 uh, enabled by the Fed's policy. And it's gonna to have to be unwound, and people are just gonna to have to they're gonna to have to live with a new reality. and it won't be as fun as <laughs> as fun and as exciting as the last uh, decade, the ride up. The ride down is never as much fun as the ride up, but that's, you know, I think that's where we are.
1: Yeah, and you try to have to balance it to, <laughs> to make it sustainable just as just as we talk about the budget. <laughs> right. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, that just occurs to me here is that um, th- the idea or the theory of uh, modern modern monetary policy has got a lot of a indica- uh, lot of attention earlier this year, last year in the in the run up, uh, basically with the idea that the federal budget, the federal government, can just print money uh, at-, at will and it's not going to have any consequences. If it does, it could touch off inflation, but that's not a big deal because Congress can always raise taxes to, uh, to slow inflation. And I'm just wondering if the current circumstances um, cast some doubt on the viability of modern monetary theory.
0: I had some doubts before the current situation, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean... You know the the notion that the government can essentially print all the money that it needs and you don't have to worry about default because we borrow in dollars and we can print more dollars and pay it all back, and interest rates are zero, so it's no big deal. Uh, you yeah, know that again, it was fine while it lasted, but <laughs> but the you know, that was before inflation went to eight and a half percent. Um, and so I you know, I don't see anybody in Washington saying, okay, my plan for fighting inflation is to raise taxes. I mean yeah. It, you know, it just, you know, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, I think that's sort of the, you know, the, the last gasp that, that now that inflation is off. No, you know, everybody endorsed monetary, uh, modern monetary policy or modern, modern mon- <laughs> I'll just say MMT. MMT, yeah. Since I can't get it out. I mean, you know, they endorsed it while it was working and it was like, okay, we can just print money and borrow at zero interest rates and spend like there's no tomorrow um, but yeah, now, now that the chickens have come home to roost and we have inflation and the, the, the prescription to fight inflation under MMT is to raise taxes and nobody's willing to take the medicine. Nobody's, nobody's certainly nobody that nobody in elective office.
1: No, really. And I think it's, a good, it's yeah, it's, a, it's a good practical <laughs> Application of uh, the the difficulty of making that work, even if even if that's uh, even if it's a it's a sound theory in practice, it uh, uh, doesn't uh, doesn't seem to be something that politicians are anxious to uh, to leap to do. Which uh, was the criticism of of MMT anyway. Um, well, Steve, I think that's all the time we have for this week, and uh, thank you for your insights into the economy. Uh, This is your host, Bob Bixby. Thank you for joining in with uh, Facing the Future this week. I'll be back next week with another edition.